Welcome to the Mid-Range Podcast, Episode 3. I'm KP. And this is DJ. And we're going to recap uh, Raptors versus Pelicans on ring night, and also Clippers versus Lakers. Uh, first thoughts with the Raptors and Pelicans. Uh, great, great ceremony, ring night. Not a fan of those rings. Uh, I don't understand what it is trying to sell. It's got a lot of diamonds and gold, but there's no Raptor logo. That Chevron, to me, is not really a productive look, but, you know, it's a championship ring. How do you feel about the rings? Um, I mean, I guess they could have been a, a little bit different in terms of um, paying homage to maybe, I guess, the, the journey of the franchise itself. But, yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely impressed by it, but I wasn't uh, too too uh, um, excited about it because I, yeah, I definitely agree with you in terms of the look of it, but I mean, I'm just happy that they're in the situation to get a, a ring. So I guess I can't complain about that. All right. Since we got all the trouble spots out of the way uh, regarding the ring night, let's talk about the recap with um, the Raptors and Pelicans. Uh, without Zion on the floor, felt like the Pelicans didn't really, or weren't able to uh, give us that game that people were intending to see. I think Lonzo Ball really struggles without Zion being on that court because that up and down pace that he uh, adds with that is affected. Drew Holiday is more of a big body guard. You can put him on the block, post him up and get kind of isolations with him. So that whole second half when they sat him on the bench for uh, two quarters and he wasn't playing, I don't know if that was because he couldn't get his game on track because he didn't have Zion and wasn't able to run and gun or because the two styles of him and Drew Holiday were a very uh, contradiction of what the Pelicans wanted to do. Ingram had a great game going and putting in work, but I feel as if the Raptors did win, but it was a struggle to win being an overtime win against a team that should not be on that same level. And they were, the Pelicans were missing their key rookie and a key centerpiece of what they try to build with that Lakers trade. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on seeing that game? Um, I mean, Toronto definitely struggled guarding the three. Just looking at the box score here, um, finishing 42% from three, the Pelicans did. They took 45 threes, and obviously... It's a lot of threes. Yeah, man. a lot of threes, high percentage, and J.J. Redick was a key factor in that. He had four threes, and he seemed to hit timely ones, especially to start the game. I was kind of... Skeptical and obviously, you you know, you had predicted that early the hangover obviously you had Said that you know ring night a lot of people are hungover from I guess the success of last season So it kind of come out really uh, Flat and that's what the Raptors really did. So uh, that was a bit of a concern for me. Um, I mean the Pelicans did still get out and uh, run at least based on uh, what I saw but the, the thing for me is, just to your point, um, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, without Zion, they don't really have a guy that can really impact the game in the paint. I know they did have um, timely offensive rebounds. They kept it pretty even. Uh, they lost it by four, but in terms of the glass, offensively, they were even with the Raptors. So I guess they did make a little bit of a threat with regards to that. But to me, I just think... Um, that they're they're a team that really they're without Zion and I think in the future they're gonna have to look at this, but they're definitely gonna have to address their uh, interior presence because there were times in this game where I thought they really could have taken advantage and put the game away, but 
you know, they missed some timely threes down the stretch. Of course, Toronto executed. Uh, Lowry hit a big three. So, I mean, it was a good game overall. Yeah, the thing about that is what I was watching when I saw the Raptors play. You know, you had Van Vliet with 34. You had Siakam with 34 as well, too. Lowry with 22. Siakam had 18 rebounds. To me, is that sustainable? Is that something that they can do for 82 games throughout the regular season? And is that something that we're bound to it, you know, as an expectation going forward? Uh, coach is going eight players deep, and I understand why he's doing that. He's trying to get a competition with his bench. But if you need to sustain that level of play through eight guys through your, your schedule, it's going to be a difficult task going forward because you got to worry about injuries, mm-hmm. people on rest days, uh, and just the whole dynamic of are, are you playing for that second season or are you just playing for the regular season? Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it sustainable for Pascal Siakam? Yeah, if he's hitting those threes and he's getting to the hoop, he did foul out. But it, it's going forward, if you're going to play eight guys and those guys got to put up those numbers day in and day out, I don't think that's going to be a good success factor because your bench is not what it's expected to be. I thought Van Vliet was going to come off the bench, and that was my mistake. But, you know, you don't have a second unit that's going to give you that scoring you need against some good teams that actually do have depth. And when that does occur, you know, situations might change. But overall, they got that W, so I can't really complain about that. You know, you seen anything long-term that they could... uh, that could affect them going forward. It's funny that you say that because I'm gonna actually agree with you because I think they're better if they can find somebody that who can replace that. Uh, no, kind of give them another option at the wing because I think Fred is better off the bench for now. And let I mean, obviously, if you go away and send okay, we're gonna send Kyle to a contender if we're not in a playoff spot. But I just think if this team is gonna be intact and if Masai feels like. He has a good core. I think there still needs to be another move. I'd like to see them eventually, you know, kind of address the wing position. Just looking at the box score, you know, you know, I was really surprised they went to Norman Powell at the end of the game for that, yeah, that forty-footer. Yeah, the most ill-advised timeout, last-second shot I've ever seen in my life <laughs> from a guy who has not produced that throughout his career. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with that, man. Because I, you know, just looking at the stats, he had eight rebounds, which is good, but he went two of seven from the floor. 105 from three. And I mean, look at the bench outside of the Baca. I don't really see much outside of maybe the, the young cat and Davis because obviously he's an undrafted guy. Gave him five points, five rebounds. Is a guy who's probably gonna have to carve his way and find his way in the league. So I'm not really too uh, mad at his uh, stats because at the end of the day, he's undrafted. He's, he's trying to prove himself. But just even looking at the boxer, you know, I know that um, Mr. Nurse had been a little critical about the uh, defense from Stanley Johnson and uh, Hollis Jefferson, and those guys didn't even play. So, to me, yeah, they didn't see the court at all. Exactly. Even Patrick McCoswell, too. Mm. Three time champion guy from Golden State. You you signed him when Cleveland benched him when they picked him up over when they released it. But I don't understand why you have players that you are allowing to prove that they can play mm-hmm. when you should just give them the opportunity to play. What other option do you have going forward for that bench? Yeah. Who else are you going to bring off that bench? Are you going to play eight guys and run them down all, all, all the time? That's that's the decision that he's got to deal with. So I, exactly. I agree with you on those guys not even seeing the court, not even uh, 
you know, touching anything whatsoever. It was just, you're going to showcase eight, eight individuals or eight teammates, but you want to create that competition for your bench, but you're not trusting to go 10 or to go 11. Because right now it's early in the season. You can figure this all out. If you're waiting on those guys to produce at the end of the season, then, you know, you're cutting minutes at the get-go for them to get their chemistry. So the Raptors were successful last year because they had two separate units. Yeah. And they relied on both of them equally. The bench played well, the starters played well, and vice versa. So now you're at that dilemma where you only have your starters, you have no bench. So what are you going to do going forward? For sure. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely um, a work in progress. And uh, for sure, I mean, outside of Ibaka, I don't really see anybody that can make a consistent impact for this team. But uh, anything else you want to touch upon? No, I think uh, successful first game. They should have won. Should have been a non-overtime competition. But, you know, it is what it is. It's the NBA. The W is all that matters. Uh, we're going to touch on that Lakers, Clippers, the La La Land. You know, LeBron versus Kawhi. Bragging rights going forward with LA. What were your thoughts on watching that game? Um, I mean, obviously throughout the game there were some highlights. Um, you know, LeBron showing him, you know, his old self, you know, going with the one hand tomahawk and chase down blocks and Davis showed flashes and of course the Clippers bench combo of Harold and uh, Lou Will and of course you got Kawhi the, the Terminator. Even uh, still, uh -huh. <laughs> still pretty much, you know, proving himself. And he's a guy that obviously is a threat to be the best player in the league. If not, you know, he probably is just based off of last season. Um, but to me, what I got out of this was I was kind of disappointed with how Vogel had used LeBron. I know um, they had said he's going to be point guard because of the situation with Rondo and Caruso had been hurt as well. But to me, as a 35, he's about to be 35 in about uh, two months, and you're having him as your point guard, and he's being a passer and having to bring the ball up and get guys involved. To me, I know that's part of LeBron's game, but that shouldn't be the main thing. I think the Davis post-ups, should the role should be flipped. I think Davis should be uh, posted up depending on the situation, and obviously LeBron, a main, especially when he did post up, you, you saw the fadeaway he had over Kawhi, and... They, they always have to bring attention because his game is polished. He's older now, so he has to pick his spot. So I just think it, it didn't make sense to me, like, the way that they had uh, used him. See, for me, the, the game was – I took it this way. First of all, that court needs to be adjusted because yeah. <laughs> if you're going to go with that new look, L.A., uh, ink style, tattooish logo, yeah, show that tattooish logo – and show those jerseys. You cannot go into a game with a background of black and white looking like the Brooklyn Clippers yeah, that's wearing the Clippers yeah. uh, old red, white, and blue. Like, make a decision. Do it. Showcase it. You know, get it done. That was my main aspect. That, that court was driving me nuts watching that game. Secondly, I, I feel like the Clippers have bought in to what the Clippers want to be. they they know they get booed everywhere. They go in L.A. The Lakers are, you know, they are the city. They are the team. They have the most championships. But nobody on the Lakers has won a championship at all for that organization going forward. So the Clippers have bought into the system. They bought into buckering down on defense and doing what they need to do. It was an even game throughout. You know, 
33-3 shot up by the Clippers, hit 13 of them. Lakers shot up 31, hit 11. Danny Green was playing uh, a great game out on the wing, hitting threes, trying to bring him back when that game was out of reach. Yeah. The whole LeBron dynamic and AD, I feel as if I'm watching Miami. When LeBron joined Miami and they had that little, who is whose team is this? Yeah. So if they're going to cater to AD, LeBron's got to uh, kind of challenge his inner D-Wade and just go with the flow of things, pick his spots, do what he's got to do, and be able to conserve himself for that fourth quarter when they need that push. If he's going to be the closer, AD could be the setup man. He could do what he needs to do, but down the stretch, get the ball to LeBron. They got to worry about AD because he's got his mojo going the whole game, but at the same time, they got to stop him. I'm not really taking too much away from that. Clippers are at full strength without Paul George, and if Paul George was playing, it might have been a different look because mm -hmm. now you got two guys that need to share the ball, but the offense was running through Kawhi. So you have Rondo, who can run the point, which was sitting on the bench, and people are forgetting about Kuzma. Yeah, uh, Lakers didn't really guess. have no bench. And if he's coming off the bench being that sixth man, which, you know, would be a big factor going forward, that would change the dynamic of the game. So it was it was what I expected to see. I thought the Lakers would show up, but at the same time, the Clippers look as if they are ready to take over LA yeah. and allow the Lakers to, to try to battle them for that uh, spot in LA. But overall, I'm not gonna overreact and say, yeah. the Lakers are done, Clippers are, are this, because that's, it's 82 games in the season. Mm -hmm. And health is a key issue for both teams going forward. So, you know, we'll see on that note. But you got anything else to touch on that? Because um, I definitely would say, like, I'm not going to overreact. But to me, I think the biggest issue I had, at least with the to your point with the Lakers bench, was, you know, KCP. I mean, he had three shot attempts, two from three, missed all the shots, uh, three rebounds, three assists, five fouls. So, I mean... You and I could have produced it was, that. It was hacking. Yeah, it was yeah, pretty much. Like, give me six fouls, I'll, I can play. Yeah, exactly. Put one of us in the game. Yeah. Probably, maybe get a point. Who knows? Or, or maybe draw a foul. But <laughs> yeah, you're not paying for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. To me, I think just looking at last year too, he was kind of up and down. So I know he visited Lethal Shooter, a guy who a lot of people in the league look at as a shooting doctor, a young shooting doctor, and um, that. Try to that really propelled him into a, a different stratosphere in terms of where he was shooting. But if he's gonna be a zero percent guy or or be a guy who's shooting in the low thirties, that's just to me you're paying about sixty million for that, and you could obviously invest in a lot of guys who could pretty much do what he does for not more than half the cost. So I think to to me it's like which KCP is gonna show up, and if he's not gonna show up, then. They may have to try to ship that contract out because I don't know if that's uh, something they want to deal with for the whole year. And uh, obviously, the Clippers bench is still still lethal. I mean, Lou Will does what he does, and Montrez proved me wrong. I thought he was gonna have to, you know, kind of figure things out. But obviously, without Paul George, he's gonna have to do more on offense. But that pick and roll, man, him and Lou Will, Lou Will always finds a pull up or he finds a pocket pass and. Who knew that a guy like Mo Harkless is gonna show that you know Portland and all these other teams maybe messed up by letting him go because he showed that he could be a guy who could be a three and D guy or a guy who can come in and score 10, 12 points off a bench just off of hustle plays. 
Yeah, he had a lot of hustle plays, a lot of rebounding too. Being a smaller team, you'd think the Lakers could out-rebound them, but you know, if Patrick Beverly is giving you 10 rebounds at the point guard position, you know, would that yeah. that needs to be addressed going forward for the Lakers because he's out working year one, Avery Bradley. He did show signs of, you know, some good defense when he was playing and some good pull-ups, but they have to respond and counter what uh, the Clippers are doing because, you know, if he's going to always be hungry and always be after, you got to have someone that matches that intensity. I, I'm not going to panic, though, because I think Rondo makes a great difference for that team. That pick and roll with him and Dwight could be effective as well, too. And like I said, Kuzma coming in could change the dynamic of that team off the bench because they, they needed that bench to score because if mm-hmm. you're playing the Clippers and you got nobody to go blow for blow against their bench, you're, you're basically fighting an uphill battle going forward. So yeah. if you can counteract their bench with a good productive bench and have their starters be the focal point, I think the Lakers would have a better shot. But I, Kawhi's Kawhi. Yeah. Kawhi's been Kawhi since he was showcased with the San Antonio Spurs. He's been consistent. He looks good and he looks hungry and willing to go forward. So, mm-hmm. you know, please beware. I am not doubting that dude. I've only bought one jersey in a Toronto Raptor uniform, and that was his. Because that dude has been my guy since the beginning. So yeah. uh, there's nobody else I support. He does it on both ends of the floor. And I think that mindset he had in Toronto, I feel like the Clippers have adapted that. So mentally, they're on point. They're on focus. And they're staying engaged night in and night out. So, you know, going forward, it's going to be a dangerous, dangerous team to play. But when Paul George comes in, we might see a, you know, a decline on whose team it is. And yeah. can they coexist? Will they play well together? You know, look at what, look at Houston and look at uh, what's transpiring there. So mm-hmm, for sure, I don't know if we were right on both our predictions. I believe we said um, Raptors were winning. Yeah, right. we were right on that one. Yeah. That win wasn't very, you know, reassuring to me, but they did yeah. win. Uh, I think we had the Lakers over the Clippers. Yeah, I, I, I think I had had them by about eight points or something like yeah. that. But yeah, obviously, way off on that because I mean, to me, just watching the game it was decided probably with four minutes left. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Danny Green kept it close. He came back. He was on the bench during the Clippers little run, and yeah. they couldn't hit anything outside the three-point line other than him. So mm-hmm. yeah, chalk it up as an off night for one team that has basically changed their whole front. Like they implemented five, six new guys when all the Clippers did was subtract two and add and add those two back in. So as a team wise, Clippers have that advantage over that. I think the Lakers need to get together 20 games in, they'll probably transform to something productive. So for sure. All right. That was the ring night recap, what we thought, what's going forward. We're going to touch bases on the Rockets and Bucks and the Clippers and Golden State. Right, we're recapping Thursday night's events between the Bucks and the and the Rockets and the Clippers and the Golden State Warriors. Uh, we had a barn burner in that game with the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Houston Rockets. 
Uh, it was 117-111. You know, what were your takes from that game over on that side of the Western Conference? Um, to me, obviously, these are two elite teams in the NBA last season who retained most of their teams outside of, uh, you know, the Rockets. Obviously, making that massive trade for Chris Paul and Westbrook and the Bucks picking up some role players and Wes Matthews and um, Robin Lopez. But to me, the biggest thing was uh, Westbrook was the best player on the floor outside of Giannis. You know, finishing with 24, 16, and 7, a, a game high of 16 rebounds. Um, and he obviously was affected from three, three of seven from three, which has been a big gripe with him. Yeah, he had that bank three. That was the shocker for me on that first three shot up looking for the foul. But yeah, that was, if it's one of those nights, I hear you though. Yeah, for sure. But to me, just Harden, I know like if you look outside of the uh, efficiency from the field in three, he was 19, seven and 14, you know, points, rebounds and assists. But to me, him going two of 13 and taking 14 free throws, making all of them. Um, to me, just he just wasn't himself, and I was kind of surprised by that because I I had thought that you know Westbrook would maybe would be the guy taking the step back, but obviously tonight wasn't the case, or this night wasn't the case for them. But um, to me, looking at their bench, the big thing for me is Eric Gordon. I mean, he's been a scorer his whole career. And he went four of 19 from the floor. He's going to have to be their sixth man, their Lou Will, come in and score maybe 40 in one night because he has that type of prolific scoring because obviously in New Orleans and L.A., he was a guy that people saw as an, an, an undersized two-guard, but he could have been a guy that a lot of people saw as like a pretty good scorer, which he has done when healthy. But to me, if he's going to go four of 19 and you get um, 10 and five from Titan Chandler in 11 minutes, which you... May, may or may not get just because he's, he is in the later stage of his career. I mean, that's kind of a letdown for me because if he's going to give you 10 and 5, you know, you expect Eric Gordon to put up at least 15 points, but he didn't do that. And um, yeah, to me, this team, I think, regresses defensively unless they make a move or make some in-house adjustments in terms of their schemes because if you're going to give up 39 points the fourth quarter to, you know, a, a Milwaukee Bucks team that didn't have Giannis for like the last five or six minutes, then you're going to have a handful of a lot of teams that may not be as good offensively, but, you know, like a Boston, which has options, but you may be in for a, a long season if you're just going to give 117 points to a Chris Middleton and Ilya Sova pretty much led unit. I, I agree with that. I've always said Dan Tony is the if, ands, or buts of that team on Houston. You know, Giannis was in foul trouble, I believe, in the first quarter. He picked up two quick ones, was on the bench, didn't play most of the first, played majority of the, of the second quarter, but yet the Rockets couldn't capitalize on having him off the floor during that first half, even though they were up 16 and they were on that, it looked like they were just gonna put the game away. And then, as you said, that 39 point performance in the fourth quarter, the lack of defense, uh, the lack of a offensive efficiency from Gordon, as you said, four for 19. He had 11 points, one rebound, zero assist. You know, Harden was the guy that you expected to take over that fourth, but it kind of looked like he was regressing from taking over the team because he made that trade. He made that statement about, we know what we need to fix. And like you said, that OKC trade that got uh, Paul shipped to OKC and, and Westbrook in there, 
Yeah. You thought it was going to be a formality that they were able to close out. I was hoping that Houston would. You know, Westbrook is that guy to put that onus on that front court, which he did in that game. He was attacking the rim, being aggressive, getting into the key. Him and Tyson Chandler looked to be on the same page as he was with uh, Adams in OKC with that pick and roll. You know, yeah. he did. He was productive, but, you know, Matthews had 14 points. He shot 50% from the floor for the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Lopez brothers, regardless of what you think, big body dudes take up space and control the glass and dictate the pace of play. And Giannis, two for five from the three. People were giving him the shot, saying the shot wasn't there, but, you know, he was more efficient going 11 for 17 from the floor, having a triple-double, 30 points, 13 rebounds, 11 assists, and that's in 28 minutes. Okay, you compare that to... Harden's 36 with him having 19.7 rebounds and 14 assists. Yes, those are good numbers, but he shot two for 13 from the floor and he was one for eight from the three-point line. Mm -hmm. And that's not a success factor going forward. Like you said, I think they need to pick up somebody. They need uh, another defensive individual on that court. Uh, If you're going to put the onus on uh, P.J. Tucker and uh, Harden... Oh, not Harden, Westbrook to play some defense on that perimeter. You might be in for a long day because you're going to need a wing to be productive. You're going to need a guy to get to the hole, get his shot, able to create and be that bench. You know, I said my sixth man was going to be uh, Fred Van Bleek. He yeah. is starting now. I, I kind of agree with you on the way Eric Gordon needs to produce because he's the guy who's going to get those shots off those breakdowns and be able to facilitate. He gets to the hole real easy, but at the same time, he needs to be something productive for those guys going forward because if Harden's on one of those nights, who else are you going to turn to? Yeah, exactly. And um, if I were them, I mean, I know the Lakers have been rumored to try and get them, but if I were them, I'd do whatever it takes to try and get an Iggy Dollar or some type of wing defender that could come in and, Give you 15 minutes a game and then obviously in the playoffs play more than that because a guy like that in this stage in his career is built for the the 16 win season which is the obviously NBA playoffs and um to me what I saw out of this game um outside of what I had mentioned um the Milwaukee bench um they were big in the first two rounds of the playoffs and the same same guys who had a role, you know, Pat Connaughton, ten and four off the bench. You got Ilya Sola, thirteen and eleven. Yeah, he was he was he was a shocker. That defense he played as well too. Yeah, he was moving around that paint and moving his feet. He did a lot of a lot of key things down that stretch mm-hmm. defensively. Exactly. Yeah, go on though. That's a good point on Ilya Sola. Um, and then the eight and seven from George Hill. I know he was a guy. You know, Raptor fans remember him killing Demar Derozan in that four-game sweep, but he was a guy in San Antonio. He was traded for Kawhi Leonard for a reason. He was a, he was a valuable piece of that San Antonio team. At one point, they obviously thought he'd take over from Tony Parker, but obviously Kawhi was something that was worth investing in as Raptor fans and Spurs fans, and obviously now the Clippers fans have grown to know. But to me, obviously the Bucks had made the adjustments offensively to get Giannis in the middle of the floor with his post-ups. I know last year they kind of tended to go to Joe Penetration, which they kind of did during this game, which to me, if they're going to do a lot of that, it may not it may not be sustainable towards the end of the season in the playoffs. But if Giannis is going to be a threat passing the ball in the middle of the floor like a Dirk, where 
the, the Spurs kind of figured that out where they would double him and then Carlisle had made the adjustment, okay, we're going to put him in the middle of the floor and make him be, obviously you can't double the middle of the floor because you're just exposing yourself. Create a three down two going forward. Exactly, case, so. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it was a good game, though, offensively. If you love threes, I'm te- both teams took over 40, 43s. I know the Rockets, D'Antoni says he wants to average 50. So, 48 probably is uh, underwhelming to him. But, I don't know. What else did you get from this? Uh, overall, I think if Giannis can produce a triple-double with uh, less than 30 minutes in the game, that's scary. Uh, Bucks look productive. They look refocused and re-engaged. A lot of people wrote them off because of the lack of, uh, I guess, shooting and team cro- and team overall against the Raptors because when they took him out of the game, there was nowhere, there, there was no other buck to be found on that court. And I think a lot of that went on them on the offseason with most people blaming Giannis, and they showed that in this game. If he's off the floor, we can still produce. Mm. He'll hit this first, I think, three threes. He went three for seven overall, but at the end of the end of the day they came out shooting they came out you know blow for blow answering calls that the Rockets were doing and down the stretch it showed that they didn't want to be known as we're only one guy yeah. we are a team we are the Bucks, and they you know they played well they should have won that game despite the fact that Houston had the better team but I, I believe the Bucks are showing us that you know the East is not just a, a a one or two team race with the 76ers. I got the Bucks up there as well too, but you know, most people are overlooking them thinking that just because of what happened against Toronto is the blueprint going forward to stop these guys. But these guys actually showed me without Giannis on the floor in that first half and down that fourth quarter when he fouled out on that ill-advised, I don't even know what kind of call that was. Yeah. Like Capella went out, he didn't even touch him. Like, come on, man, the guy's six fouls gotta be it's gonna be a touch foul like that. That that was ridiculous. But yeah, you know, sure. kudos to the Bucks for uh, pulling it through, staying with their game plan, and just getting the W yeah. in a hostile uh, Houston. I know Houston wanted that win, but you know, it is what it is for sure. And yeah, without Clay, I said there's no way. Let's go Clippers <laughs> and Golden State. Yeah, I do. It's. I kind of agree with Steve Kerr on it's going to be a long season. Oh, yeah. There's nobody on that court that can play defense productively enough to make you think that Golden State has a shot. And I understand Curry's the greatest shooter of all time, according to most. The first unanimous MVP in the history of the NBA, despite the fact that a couple of those awards could have gone to MJ, but I ain't going to touch on that. That's for another segment in the the later future. But if you're going to rely on him to take you to the next level, he can score, granted. But if he cannot stop who he's scoring on Mm -hmm. and he's playing against a team that is defensive-minded like they used to be and they're playing on both sides of the court like they used to be, it's going to be a long season going forward. Because I'd... uh, Glenn Robinson III, I thought would be more productive. He had some good bright spots and all that. But the Clippers just showed where they are and where Golden State isn't. And that is just because of the losing KD. The one guy on a team, he's offensively gifted. He can score buckets and bunches and do what he needs to do, and he's a nightmare mismatch. They don't have that anymore. They have three guys that they had prior to that, but they've also lost Iguodala. They don't have West. 
They don't have a lot of guys that were there. Livingston is off that team now, too. Yeah. A lot of guys are on that bench. So it's a new look for the Golden State Warriors. So this yeah. new look, new arena is going to be a tough look and a tough arena going forward unless they get somebody on that team that can give them what they lost with those guys that I just mentioned. But that game was impressive by the Clippers. They took care of what they they did, just like the Lakers did in the preseason matchup against Golden State. They kind of just exposed Golden State for what they are going forward. For sure. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I definitely agree. I know uh, the Warriors have been top five defensively for the most part in the past five years. They had the length. They had the they had the athleticism to switch everything. You know, KD, I know a lot of people talk about his scoring, but defensively, him being able to play the five because he's really a seven-footer. Yep. Based on his height, obviously, and his length, he plays a lot taller than he is defensively, despite being a little bit skinnier than most traditional centers. But um, to me, um, I'm definitely going to have to agree with you because I'm looking at the box score. I know Curry had 23 points, but that was a tough 23 because, you know, Beverly was on him most of the game. D'Lo had 20 and 8. Most of that was in the first quarter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He had that 10-point stretch where he cut the lead down, and everybody's like, oh, the Clippers coming out hot, and then the Warriors came back with their punch. But it wasn't. there wasn't much outside of this. I, I kind of was kind of disappointed as the game went on throughout the third quarter. It was a 20-point game for um, most of the second half. But just looking at the Clippers, um, you know, Lou Will and Harrell, of course, making an impact, as always, off the bench. Mo Harkless, again, made a an impact being efficient with his seven shots but looking at the starters you get 20 points with Patrick Patterson I mean Toronto fans obviously had been upset he went six of ten from three I don't think he ever did that in Toronto man like not open threes that guy missed yeah but he was at, in his earlier stages in Toronto he was productive like yeah that. he was he was that quarter three guy spot up shoot and hit those open shots and that's what got him out of Toronto because he was unproductive going forward with that after he signed that uh, deal with for another four years. But he, he's he been this player before, so hopefully yeah. he, this is his second his second shot of life with this yeah. team. But, yeah, like you said, seven, uh, he dropped 20 points, seven for 13 from the floor, six for 10 from three. You know, he was pretty much what Draymond is to the Golden State Warriors mm -hmm. because Draymond did not – do anything productive in that in this game as well. Mm -hmm. He had what eleven points, four rebounds, three assists. So it's kind of like it was a Freaky Friday little switch between those two. But exactly. I just wanted to put that on top of that. But go on with what you're saying though. Um, and also uh, Zubac. Uh, to your point, defensively they have nobody inside. Sixteen and ten from him in eighteen minutes. I mean that's if he's doing that eighteen minutes, they're going to be a hard team to to beat. Obviously. Because you look at the Warriors, to to what you said, their bench, I mean, I'd probably guess average age is maybe 25, 26. Like, there's some young, unproven guys. Yeah. You know, Pascal was real good at Villanova, but he's a rookie. He did have a good game, but he's still a rookie. He's still about 6'7". He's undersized. Um, Amari Spellman had a up-and-down year with Atlanta, kind of being in and out of the G League. He gave him 8-5 off the bench. But, again, he's unproven, and... You know, Marquis Chris kind of bounced around. And to me, um, the Warriors is definitely going to be a long season. Unless Clay somehow comes back early, I don't really see them. I had had them in the bottom half of the playoffs, but the West is the West, man. No matter what 
has transpired in the last, what, four months, even though it feels like it was yesterday in terms of free agency. But the Warriors, to me, I just, if they're going to be this poor, like they're going to be this poor on defense, I just don't, I don't see them making the playoffs. I think they're going to have the same problem the Lakers had last year where they have some firepower offensively, but one, how consistent it's going to be outside of their star, and two, their bench is real unproven, real young, and they're just undersized. They don't have a rim protector. They don't have a guy who could block a shot to to save his life, to, you know, no, spark a run. That whole lane is wide open, wide yeah. open like the freeway. And like what you said about the Clippers, usually last year Golden State played, you were close that third quarter, they just blew you open. But the box score shows the third quarter, the Clippers dropped 46 compared to the 33 <laughs> that the Golden State drop and usually that's vice versa golden state would be that team come out in that third quarter yeah. get you on your mouth and then all of a sudden it's what are we going to do during the fourth because they would push you during the fourth quarter they're giving up a lot of points i know Collie willie Collie stein is on that uh bench he's hurt right now maybe he's going to be an active dude when he comes out him and velo could probably work that pick and roll real nice there is some bright spots but they were always a defensive team with mark jackson's uh, implementation when he first was there. Kerr gave him that offense, and they kind of gelled together. But now they got nobody to do anything, so it's yeah. going to be an unproductive year. And you know, head coach Kerr saying he's he may not even play Clay. Clay might not come back because the playoffs are not relevant for them. And this is, should be what it is going forward with the Golden State Warriors. And if that that's what it is, you know, that's a long drop off from what it was before to where it is now. And maybe they pick up somebody in the draft going forward and replace and plug and play. But it's going to be tough to watch, especially for Clay Thompson, who wants to play. But at the same time, should he play if there's nothing to play for going forward? Because if he gets a setback on that injury for nothing, then why is he coming back? For sure. And uh, to your point, um, I just don't understand. I know a lot of people... You know, kind of want, didn't want to write off Golden State. But um, the thing for me is, as much as a dynasty, you know, the glory days are there, they always, like, seem to crumble like that. Yeah, man. And that's that's literally what's happened. You know, KD leaving, or even before him blowing out his Achilles, filling a ways, and obviously wanting to leave, and they couldn't really fill out the rest of that roster outside of D'Lo. So, I mean, it's going to be a long season unless they somehow – have one of these young guys show otherwise. I mean, it is a two-game season, but to your point, this uh, new era is not getting off to a good start, for sure. I feel like that Thanos snap happened. That five-year might transpire. But I, I, they do come back when Clay comes back. But like I said, without Clay, there's no way. Until that guy's on that court, I do not consider them being a vital part of that Western Conference. They may squeak in and be eighth. But they're not going to be a dominant force like they were before because Clay is that two-way player that gives you what they need. They, he'll shut a guy down and he'll go off for 36 and a quarter like it's a layup drill and it's all threes for him. So for sure, they they miss that going forward. So you know that's what it is. Mid-range podcast episode number three, recapping ring night, Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, Rockets, and then Clippers and Golden State on that Thursday night. I'm KP. And this is DJ. And we out.